0: Hey, Coach Harlan here, welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Melissa Boggs. Melissa is a keynote speaker, leadership coach, and employee experience designer. She is host of the Wild Hearts at Work podcast, redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with those challenging the status quo of today's workplace. Melissa is a former executive with a background in leadership, Business and product development. She's a former nonprofit board member, having served on the board of directors for both Scrum Alliance and Agile Denver. She was privileged to present at the 2020 World Business and Executive Coach Summit and at the 2021 Women Tech Summit. It has been featured in Business Coaching, Business Agility, Emergence, and Authority magazines. And if you're interested in various letter combinations, Melissa has a host of letter combinations after her name. Um, certified enterprise coach, certified team coach, dare to lead trained coach, I guess, train training from the back of the room, trained coach, certified less practitioner, Kanban management professional. Is it Kanban or Kanban? I think it's Kanban, right?
1: It depends on whether you are American or Canadian, apparently. So the Canadians <laughs> say Kanban um, and then those of us in America tend to say Kanban. kanban. I think they're both uh, right.
0: I'll stick with Kanban. Okay. Um, And project management professional. She holds an MBA in IT management and a BS in information technology from Western Governors University. Melissa, thanks so much for being on the podcast. You are episode 150. So thank you so much. Oh my
1: goodness. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks Thanks for letting me be here for your milestone. That feels like a milestone.
0: It is a milestone. It's a big one. I like it. Um, All right. Before we get started, you grew up in Alaska,
1: I did <laughs>
0: <laughs> North Pole, Alaska, which is like almost dead center of the state.
1: How was that? Right. that?
0: That's kind of remote,
1: uh, to a certain degree. Um, especially when I was there. I mean, growing up was a while ago for me. <laughs> um, but yes, it, it was it was a little bit remote. Um, North Pole is just outside of Fairbanks, which is probably I think it's the second biggest city. In Alaska. So, I mean, we did have, you know, running water and indoor <laughs> plumbing and whatnot. But um, I do recall, though, when I mean, growing up, things like Walmart, we did not have. So, when we would travel to the States for, you know, holidays, going to Walmart was a really big deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's I remember
1: awesome. my parents buying me loads of books at Walmart, like all of the whatever fiction I was reading at the time, because it was so much cheaper. To buy them when we were in Texas for the holidays. Um, so yes, it was it was different. I spent uh, first grade through high school graduation in Alaska. So
0: very nice. How big was your graduating class in high school?
1: Bigger than most people would think, actually. I okay. around two hundred. Okay, Um That's not
0: bad. Yeah, you think yeah. okay, there's thirteen of us, right? And right, we're related. exactly. But yeah, it's not that. <laughs> not that. And you, you know, said- Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Was, sorry,
1: sorry. I was just to say there were actually three high schools about the same size as mine. So, I mean, there was a pretty big contingent. We had three or four military bases all in the same region, and so that's where a lot of the population—not all, but a good portion of that population, especially children—came from.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, were your parents in the military? Is that why my you dad was. okay mm-hmm. okay
1: my dad was a pilot um this is a fun fact he flew the tanker airplanes the ones that would refuel yeah. in the air nice. and so that was always a unique fact about my dad <laughs> very cool
0: I actually met somebody who worked the the fueling probe it mm-hmm. goes out boom
1: operators
0: yes a boom operator that's cool very very cool all right and then I also want read one fact you sang in a A metal band.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did. It's been literally 20 years ago now. So now it feels like when I talk about that, it was a lifetime ago. But um, I did. I grew up singing. I've been singing since I was probably four. Um, My parents are both musicians. But yeah, probably my most notable thing that makes people chuckle was that when I was in my early 20s, I fronted a, a metal band in Austin. It was lots of fun.
0: Very cool very very cool all right well, i want to come back and talk about all of this and more right things how you got started how you got to where you are today who you work with how you help them um and at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership but before we get started i've got questions 10 questions that i ask every one of my guests these are questions made famous by on the tv show inside the actress studio where the host james lipton asks these questions of his hollywood guests uh, from tv film and stage and i figure if they're good enough for the hollywood elite you're certainly good enough for my guests. So 10 questions for you. Ready? I
1: love that show, by the way. So I'm oh, so I know. excited. Awesome.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Question number one. What is your favorite word? My favorite word? Audacity.
0: Nice. What is your least favorite word? <laughs>
1: I'm trying to find a word that actually represents a phrase. So I'm just going to say realistic. Okay.
0: Um, what turns you on? Energy. Nice. What turns you
1: off? Uh, trying to find the word. Um, complacency. Okay.
0: Good. What sound or noise do you love?
1: The whirr of like a, a sound machine or a fan, you know, like the white noise of a fan in okay. the middle of the night when everything is quiet.
0: Nice. And what sound or noise do you hate?
1: I have a physical reaction to the sound of a nail file. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually have like a, like a cringe, like physical reactions. So nail files or pottery, it's the same. Like I, it, it almost hurts. It's hard to explain, but I have okay. a, a, yeah. Got it. No,
0: that's good. Um, question seven, what is your favorite curse word?
1: I mean, you really, Oh gosh, if my mother listens to this, but you can't <laughs> go wrong with the F word because the F word is so expressive you know and versatile yes versatile expressive and versatile so yeah you can't go wrong with the effort
0: good job all right sorry mom yeah really (laughs) what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
1: oh i would be a rock star in a heartbeat Pretty cool (laughs) i would absolutely be a professional musician
0: (laughs) what profession would you not like to do
1: i would never be a doctor no respect so much respect doctors but mm, no
0: I'm too (laughs) empathetic I would feel everything that they're going through and yeah Mm it would be bad all right final question 10 if heaven exists what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates Mm.
1: took you long enough Because that's how long, you know, because I'm old. It took a long Good. time to get there.
0: Good job. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Melissa, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got into Agile and worked your way up into as a CEO, right, of the Scrum Alliance. Um, and at some point, we'll transition in to talk about courage and leadership. Okay?
1: All my favorite topics. All how all can we go topics. wrong? <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. <laughs> Listeners, we'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Melissa Boggs. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast, being on the podcast and being episode number 150. Ooh, up, love it. Yeah, serendipitous. <laughs> very, very cool. So CEO of Scrum Alliance. Now, for those who don't really understand what Agile is, when we talk about Agile and Scrum, can you give us like a high-level flyover? What what is it? And how did you get involved?
1: Sure. Uh, So first, the Agile movement started uh, about 20 years ago. So back when I was singing in my metal band, there was an entire movement of uh, software development, but ultimately organizational development that started. And it started with what's called the Manifesto for Agile Software Development. And in a nutshell, this was a group of software developers who saw a better way to work in software development and were each approaching it differently, but with the same set of kind of core values or principles. So they came together and developed this manifesto. And um, some of those ways of working include some of the ones you spoke about already, Scrum, Kanban. There were elements of lean, um, extreme programming, all these were different frameworks that were represented by these folks who came together. Um, So the Agile movement went on from there, started in software development, but we've seen it applied in marketing, even in public education. Um, My husband was actually a high school English teacher who used these principles in his classroom. And so they're they're widely applicable. It just happens that they originated. With software. Um, One of the biggest frameworks that you hear about most often is Scrum. Um, Scrum was originated by Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schwaber um, even before 2001. Again, all these frameworks sort of existed first, and then they came together to create the movement. And it is a framework for complex adaptive problems. Um, It's a way to understand work and work in an iterative and incremental way. And so people who have heard of Scrum have probably heard about working in sprints. I'm using Mm -hmm. air quotes. Um, You do planning, you do uh, at the end, like a demonstration for your customers of the work that you've done. And you do a retrospective where you look at how are we working as a team? So we actually Mm -hmm. separate the product and the team and say, how is each one of those doing on their own? And so, yeah, that's the framework. And then Scrum Alliance is the oldest agile organization Uh, they formed not too long after the manifesto actually and they offer certifications but more than that they offer membership and community for people who are who are using the scrum framework um, and beyond really nice yeah so i I,
0: i've been uh, i was a consultant for like 30 years all these different projects and everything like that sap implementations oracle implementations things like that a lot of those used more of a waterfall methodology right that's how projects used to be run that's how companies would run things and then like you said agile kind of started off software how did it branch into other business applications and and school i mean you know your husband using it in school that's that's kind of cool
1: it is i think what we saw happen really organically and i saw this firsthand in a number of organizations myself is that especially these days, I mean, software is core to every company, you know, every, you know, there's a, I don't know if it's a joke or just a saying that every company is a technology company these days. And so what we would see is that you would have your technology organization working in this iterative and incremental way, but all of the other departments in the organization were used to, and still speaking the language of these long waterfall-esque projects. And so your agility was contained only to the technology department until you could start to work through those things with the other departments and the other industries. So um and and that's the interesting thing too is sometimes it even spills over into your customer, right? So mm-hmm. I actually worked at a company, gosh, probably eight, nine years ago now, that we as a company felt Quite agile and we were working that direction but our customers were still used to getting cd roms yeah. and so you know that is something that's quite difficult to start shifting their mindset so that's also when it started kind of crossing industries and um, so it was really quite organic i don't think anyone set out to say like we're going to change the whole world and make all companies all agile but you can only go so far until you start hitting roadblocks if we're not all speaking the same language. And then as far as getting into things like public education, I think it's a combination of two things. One, I say this, it's going to sound like a joke, but it's not. People like myself who were in technology, but married to teachers were going, Hey, like, this is cool. You should try this. And my husband, I mean, he probably like pushed me off for like three years like three years of me going, no, I really think this could be really neat in your classroom because it's all about like creating autonomy for teams and and that's what these kids needed to learn, right? And so that's the second piece that I think opened this door for agility in the classroom is that if every technology or I'm sorry, every company is a technology company and every company is you know starting to lean toward oh we need to be more flexible and agile then so do these kids mm-hmm. you know they need to learn these skills that frankly we are having to unlearn right you know and so it it was very when my husband did start you know applying this it was sort of eye opening not just for the kids but for him and how mm-hmm. he was leading in his classroom um because there was very much like a sit and get Type of uh, perspective, you know, many years ago, and that the teacher was the sage, and, right. and now it's becoming a lot more like project-based learning, and agile principles blend right into that.
0: Absolutely, no, I think we do the kids a disservice by teaching them the old ways, and then having them come out into industry and, like you said, realize, okay, forget everything you learned, start <laughs> right. over, and learn this, right? Um, and it's kind of like that what used to be rapid application design, right? You build something, test it, get feedback, fix it, build it, test it, go out. And you you develop better products that way instead of waiting. Okay, year and a half project is over. You deliver something that doesn't work.
1: And there's nothing more frustrating to creatives. And software developers are creatives. Absolutely. Then putting out a product and then finding out that nobody wants it. Um, And I always, whenever I give talks about this, I tell the story about how, if you think back to 20 years ago, when you wanted to get new software, you went to Circuit City or, you know, Best Buy and you got this box off the shelf Mm -hmm. and it was this little disc in this giant box, which by the way, is a whole nother conversation. Like, why were we packaging like that? I know. But, you know, we take it home, you put it in your computer and that disc that you're holding was probably like five years worth of work which sounds like, oh, amazing. They poured five years of work into it. But five years ago, what did we think we needed compared to what we need now? Like, we can't wait that long anymore.
0: No. Yeah, and the minute you put the disc in, there are updates. You have to go out and try to get the updates. And you talk about, you know, not having respect for all the work that went into it. Um, I was a technical writer. What's the first thing Mm -hmm. you do when you open the box? You throw the technical book away. (laughs) (laughs) Ask your friends, how do I do this, right? So I know exactly what that's like. Um, yeah. But now you transitioned into being a coach, right? When did that happen? How did you how did you make that transition?
1: So um, I got into the Agile space in 2008, 2009, which, gosh, it feels like last year, but it was not. Um, and so one of the roles in Scrum is a Scrum master. And essentially that person is, a coach for the team. They're in some ways a performance coach, but they're a teamwork coach. They make space for the team and they help remove obstacles and impediments. And so one of the paths that many scrum masters do take is working from, you know, I work with this one team to working across teams, to working across entire organizations. And then we don't like to think of it as a hierarchy, but essentially you become an agile coach, you are someone who can teach agile values and principles to an entire organization. And so that was probably, I'd say, six years ago now, that I would have considered myself an agile coach. Um, And with that, I mean, I had to learn a lot of coaching skills and take classes on coaching and just learn how to quote, unquote, coach. And I just loved it. I mean, it's, very natural for me. I am naturally pretty an empathetic person, which allows me to coach a person where they're at and, you know, meet them there Mm -hmm. or an entire team. Um, And then on that journey is when I really became involved with Scrum Alliance as a member, as a community member, going to conferences, getting to know people, volunteering. And one of their certifications is certified enterprise coach. And so you have to go through it, you know, a series of other certifications, frankly. Um, And so I became a certified enterprise coach and a certified team coach with them several years ago now. And that's how I became involved with them again as a member long before I ever worked there.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So and now you're working with executives, too. You talk a lot on your on your website and on your LinkedIn profile. You talk a lot about employee engagement. In helping to bridge that gap between employer and employee, and making sure that they're all culturally fit and everything like that, um, where did those gaps come from? Have they always been there, or is there was there some epicenter that kind of started this? Where did it where did that breakdown happen?
1: That's a great question. Um, I want to sort of reiterate what you just said because I think this is one of the things that I don't hear a lot of people talking about which is that the problem doesn't lie with the leader or with the employee. The problem lies with the relationship that exists between the leader and the employees and what that consists of in terms of communication and trust and you know all of the buzzwords we say, but they're real. Yeah. Um, and so I think that gap has always been there to a degree. However, I do think in the last several years, what we're starting to see is two things. One, there's a generational shift that's happening, right? So folks that are roughly my age and in my little micro generation of Xennials, we are now the the VPs, you know, the the directors and those that are younger than us and in the workforce have a certain expectation those that were older than us have perhaps a different expectation of what that relationship looks like and so I find it kind of interesting because I do think there's something about this micro generation these folks I'll just out myself my age but that are like you know born in the early 80s that had this analog childhood who grew up with the generation before us but also have this digital adulthood and we can relate to you know the the younger generation growing up with phones and everything and so i think we're seeing sort of this i wouldn't even call it a clash or a collision but there's these different generations who had the most different experiences of any generational gap that you've seen yeah. right and so you know, I always talk about my daughter's almost 16. My daughter has a very different set of expectations going into the work world in a few years than I did, for sure. Very autonomous, very self-guided. And we have to be ready for that. Yeah. And so that's where I think the gap started and is, is maybe bigger than it has been in the past. And then the pandemic sort of accelerated that because yeah. Yeah. you also have folks who are just reevaluating life and priorities and are no no longer willing to accept anything less than a full vibrant life. Because man, we all face mortality for two years or and more.
0: Exactly. Um yeah and just world events have kind of brought that to the forefront. But I'm wondering if the so I'm older than you, much older than you. When I was working (laughs) at Lockheed Aircraft out in California, It was bad at times, but we thought this is all there is, right? Nowadays, we have access to data from around the world. Who's doing what, how they're doing it, what they're getting paid, (laughs) you know, all these different things that we didn't have access to before. And I'm wondering if that that knowledge has opened up people to where it's like, you know what, I deserve better, or I know there's more out there, more possible, you know, why settle for, for this? I'm wondering if that has anything to do with it.
1: 100 it does um I and mean, we have more information at our fingertips than we ever have and we have more opportunities. so the other thing is in the wake of this pandemic and world events as you said there's more opportunity than ever for people to take their hobbies and turn them into careers right more opportunity forever for people to you know go on fiverr and you know, sell services. And so it is harder than ever for organizations to just stay the way they've always been. This is why I said that my least favorite word is complacency Yeah, because if you do that, not only, you're not gonna lose them necessarily to other companies, although you might, your talent, but you may just lose them to, oh, I'm gonna go be, the example I always use is I'm a roller skater. And I have friends who like left their corporate jobs to become roller skating instructors and are doing very well. (laughs) Yes. So why would I sit in this cubicle where you're forcing me to be in the office when I don't want to be? Some people do, but many don't. And, you know, have FaceTime for eight hours a day when really, you know, the optimal working time might be closer to four to six hours, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, the information that is available to us, the opportunities that are available to us, we have to be really, really attractive as organizations and real because people can see right through it when you are just Mm -hmm. BSing, oh, this is our culture, and then it's not.
0: Right. It's our our culture in words, but we don't actually, yeah, live it. Absolutely. Um, One of the blogs you had, but you're talking about the great resignation.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: mm-hmm. That's a big term. everybody's talking about great resignation. i don't I don't see it as necessarily the resignation as more like you were saying a reevaluation. Where am I now? Is this what I want to do? Is this where I want to be and stuff. Um, what message do you think this is sending to corporate America, and are they listening?
1: I mean, it's kind of what we were just talking about. The message is a. You need to get real about being human-centric organizations. Humans work for you. They are not numbers. They are not chess pieces. They are people who have lives, um, who do care about their work. This is another thing that might make me radical. I don't know. But I believe that everyone gets up every day and wants to do the best that they can. Yes, absolutely. And we are symptoms of, or or we are um, products of the system that we're in. And so if you are looking around your organization going like, well, nobody's performing, perhaps we should take a look at, you know, why that might be. It's not because the generation behind you is lazy. Mm -hmm. Perhaps we are not providing them with the right environment to do the work that they, that you want them to do. And then I think the other message is um, I wrote recently an article where I coined the term, I think. I've Googled this and I don't see anyone else talking about it the same way. Okay. Organizational gaslighting. Okay. And by that, right. I mean this idea that it's going to be very tempting for organizations to talk about their core values in an effort to get people in the door. Okay. But people are not going to put up very long with obvious misalignment with your values and your behavior. And so with the great resignation or even I've heard the great reshuffle, we're actually seeing people in their second resignation in the great resignation because they were sold a year ago, this company culture and they got there and it was not what they were told that it was. And the gaslighting part is that at first you kind of look around, you go, am I crazy? Like you told me that you were all about a, B and C and I don't, see that at all no no we are we we love our people I feel crazy then because like I don't see it and then they'll go and they'll find another place that does or that's when they'll go start their own business you know um are they listening I don't know yet to be honest I mean I think there is a contingent of of organizations that are taking this seriously Mm -hmm. and I mean that's part of why I have a job so that's great yeah Yeah, that's Um, good (laughs) but i do think it's going to take a little bit more brooding and a little bit more turnover mm-hmm. and organizations to understand that this wasn't just a pandemic thing like this is not going away. Yeah. People understand their worth now. And so you need to be worthy of them just as you have you know interviewed people and tried to make them prove that they are worthy of you for right. years. Right.
0: Yeah, and there are definitely some companies that get it and, and do really well, you know, living their, their, their core values and their culture. And then there are others that it's the words on the wall, the big posters on the wall, a lot of money spent on those posters and the colors and everything. And then you see the executive team doing something totally different. It's like, okay, who do I follow the poster or this guy?
1: Yeah. So. And I mean, I'll just, I'll just lead us right down to the courage and leadership okay. path. Coach Harlan, Because <laughs> gonna i'm gonna i don't wanna say admit that's not the right word but acquiesce that it is hard to do that like it is hard to live your values it takes courage to let go of power and to let go of control but that is what's required now you know and it kind of always was but now it's like it's in your face you know Yeah. yeah um the other thing with sort of the generational gap and just the cultural gap that exists is that if you're in, say, a VP position, you've worked your way up. And i that's incredible, right? Like I was a VP at a tech company not too long ago. But that also means that I have not been in the position of the folks that are working, you know, either with customers or with code or whatever it might be, I haven't been in their shoes for quite a while. Right. That is very different than 20 years ago when you had not been in their shoes for quite a while. The pace of change is so fast that if you haven't been in their shoes in three years, guess yeah. what? It's probably an entirely different world than it was when you were there. And you were still valuable. You right. still provide leadership and strategy, but you have to be able to listen to your people because they're experiencing something different than you did for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And my background, like I said, organizational change management. So working with these companies that were undergoing some major change, one of the first things we told them is before you make any change at all, talk to your employees. They're on the ground doing the work, hands-on. They know what needs to be fixed. They know what works, what doesn't work. Engage them, right? Talk to them, get their input, because you're going to get them to buy in then to whatever that change is that's coming up. Even if you don't take their, um, their suggestions on the change, at least you listen to them and they feel part of the process and they're going to you know, accept it a lot more and, and work within it. So, so, yeah, engagement is huge. Huge, so
1: huge. So, I'm going to point out a couple of things. So, when we talk about employee engagement, we seem to think that it's like only from the employee side. Oh, no. Right? Like, <laughs> here's the work and you have to, here, employee, you must engage with this work or with this change. And what you just described was actually the leader engaging with the employee, which is phenomenal. Um, I will say I have a little bit of a pet peeve around making employees feel heard because, and and engaging them with the change as if it's static, Hmm. where you might talk with them and find out something entirely different, right? This this is where the agility part comes in. You might talk with them and go, oh, and you have, this is the courage. You have to be willing to go, oh, my perception of this from, let's just call it my ivory tower or my corner office might've been a little bit off. And based on what I just heard from, you know, these several folks, we actually need to course correct a little bit or, or go a different direction. And the courage to do that, I respect so deeply because Again, that's kind of against our conditioning. Like, ooh, I'm higher in the hierarchy. Right. I know better. Maybe. 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 <laughs> Chances
0: are. Right? <laughs> no, because that's, that's one thing we talk about in, uh, in, as far as courage. Intellectual courage. The courage to set aside your long-held beliefs, the knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge. These leaders, I mean, we were kind of brought up to believe that we needed to be the smartest person in the room. And so when somebody comes up with an idea, it's like, if I didn't think about it, we're not implementing that. It's like, no, set that aside, open up. I I can't know everything. Tell me what you know. Let's work on this together. And I think that's where, like I said, that courage comes in. You have to be willing to have ideas come in from these different areas. It it could be your subordinate. It could be, you know, a competitor, who knows, but you've got to set aside your knowledge to make room for all this new knowledge coming out because there's always new stuff coming out.
1: Exactly. Especially now, again, I mean, a lot of this just comes down to the pace of change, which is just so much faster in the world than it ever has been. And it'll keep getting faster. Relentless. So. Exactly. You buy a new phone
0: <laughs> and then the next day there's a better phone out there, right? Oh, you buy a man. computer. When you get it home <laughs> and turn it on, there's a brand new computer out there. That's uh, Yeah. Change is relentless. Um, talking about courage. Where did you find the courage? to, uh, first of all, um, I read you You were working, what, on the East Coast somewhere and then moved out? Or where, where were you, you were working?
1: Um, so like- I spent 17 years in Texas. Okay. And then about five, almost five years ago, we moved to Denver, but that was actually not work-related. Okay. Um, but it, it did take a little bit of courage. So um, my daughter, who is now a sophomore, uh, was accepted to Denver School of the Arts as a sixth grader. She Very is an nice. actor. Nice. And so we made a family decision. Um she had wanted to be an actor since she was seven years old, still does. Nice. And so we made a family decision to move here and, you know, allow her to attend that school. My son wanted nice. to learn how to ski. Uh good and place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And so um yeah, that's what brought us to Denver. But it was it was definitely um Serendipitous, as you said earlier, because Scrum Alliance is actually headquartered literally 10 minutes from the home that we ended up buying. We nice. did not, I did not make that connection. It wasn't intentional. Yeah. But I was 10 minutes away from the company that I ended up working at for two years. So very cool. Very serendipitous.
0: Good stuff. And then transitioning from an employee into you have your own business now, right? That I can do. be scary for some people. Where did you find the courage to? branch out on your own?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Well, full disclosure, this is my second time. The first time was a, uh, I'll call it a concluded attempt, not a failed attempt. (laughs) Um, When we first moved to Denver, I had a consulting, agile coaching, uh, private practice. And after probably four months, uh, basically like one major client, I ended up getting recruited to a company that I had respected for so long and it was like, I just couldn't say no. And so I closed my first business after four months, um, again, concluded didn't fail, maybe failed, I don't know. Um, and you know, spent a year with them. And then that's actually when I went to Scrum Alliance for two years. Um, after Scrum Alliance, I also worked at a company called Sauce Labs for um, nine months as a their VP of business agility. And they were a wonderful company. But frankly, when you have been um, in the role that I was in at Scrum Alliance, it's actually kind of difficult to go work somewhere else. Yeah. And I just had such a... This idea of the, I'm getting to the courage part, I promise.
0: Sure.
1: Um, Having at that point been on both sides of the equation that we're talking about, right? I had been the CEO. There were times when I was the CEO that I felt helpless and I don't think anybody realized it. There were things that I did not have control over. Some of them were small, like board decisions that I couldn't influence. Some of them were huge, like global pandemics. Yeah. (laughs) and so I had a new empathy for leaders that I thought I had before like I always could feel compassion but like now I was like oh you are not the be-all end-all that we think you are (laughs) Um, but I still had a ton of empathy for employees and that's when I began to see and have such a passion for like the key here is how we speak to each other and and Mm -hmm. the expectations that we have of each other and so Um, I think the courage almost came out of a, I don't know if the word is desperation, but definitely a desire to heal that for people, you know, to, to not just make cool workplaces, although sometimes that's the shorthand that I use, but to help people bridge that gap because I've been there on both sides Mm -hmm. and it's hard no matter what, side that you're on. It's it's a hard place to be unless you can make that a healthy relationship.
0: Exactly. Um, is there a type of courage you think is most important for entrepreneurs or for leaders in general?
1: Mm. I mean, the word that came to mind was emotional courage. Okay. Um, and, and that's sort of It maybe goes along with emotional intelligence, but Mm -hmm. it's more, it's different. Um the courage to self-reflect. Yes. The courage to take risks. Um and that's an emotional courage that it takes you know, to take risks. Absolutely. Um the courage to be humble and yet have enough confidence. This is a thing that I I had to learn a balance between is humility is important, but you also have to have confidence. Like there has to be like a a confident humility so that people feel that they can trust, you know, you can't be the scared one all the time. You can be vulnerable and say, Hey, like we haven't been down this road before. So, you know, I'm a little scared too, but they are looking at you to be like, but we're going to be okay. We're going to figure it out together. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think emotional courage and its many facets yeah. is, to me, the most important thing, because everything else can kind of grow from that.
0: Absolutely. Emotional courage. Yeah. And empathetic courage, understanding what they're going through, your employees mm-hmm. or or your, your direct reports or whatever, and helping them with that. Um, you talk about, you know, they're, they're looking to leaders for, hey, make a decision. Hey, we're following you. You know, don't freak out on us and stuff like that. Talking to my clients, uh, I talk a lot of times about, you know you're on an airplane and you hit turbulence you look at the flight attendants if they're going on about their business then you know everything is okay this is normal oh if gosh, they're back behind that the literally curtain, you know they're back behind sorry. the curtain making the sign of the cross or something it's like okay i need to panic now right
1: that literally happened to me last week really? like on a flight uh, to chicago and back and you know how windy it can be and we hit oh, some yeah. turbulence and yeah. Yeah. I'm watching the, the two flight attendants and I mean, they really are just like going about their business. Like no, nothing's wrong. This is fine. And yep. I just kept telling myself that, and I'm a frequent flyer, but this was some pretty significant turbulence. Yeah. So yes, I love that analogy. Yeah.
0: yeah. If you see them panicking, definitely consider panicking.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um, <laughs> you work with leaders. What are, what do you look for in a leader? What makes a good leader?
1: Ooh. Can I just go back and say all the things I just said? Yeah, (laughs) Emotional courage. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think in a leader, I I think the biggest thing I'm looking for in a leader, and and emotional courage just wraps into it, is alignment Mm -hmm. of, again, your values and your behaviors. Um, It is really easy to say all these very pretty buzzword things. It is a lot harder, and it takes a lot of emotional courage to follow through with those things or to own up to it when you didn't, Yeah. you know, maybe you had a bad day or maybe there was a decision that you just had to make from, you know, a a solo perspective. You had to unilaterally make a decision, tell people why own it, say, Hey, you know, I would have liked to have asked your opinion on this or, you know, gotten the wisdom of the crowd, but these were the circumstances. Um, But that's still alignment to me, you know, it's like.
0: Alignment's key. Yeah. yeah. If you're not aligned, if your leadership team isn't aligned, you know, I've been on projects like that where everybody's kind of going off doing their own thing that they think is what needs to be done and they're actually fighting against each other. You want that alignment. Got to have that. Absolutely. Got to have it. Um, Do you have people working for you right now?
1: I don't. I I am a solo. Solopreneur practitioner so at the right. yes. but you have had people
0: working for you before sure. right as That's the CEO sure. of the alliance and everything like that if I was to bump into any of those people now and ask them what type of leader you are what would they tell me
1: what kind of leader are you um, oh man um I would like to think that the first thing they would say was that I was empathetic um but that I was also decisive, and maybe a little bit radical. We tried some really interesting things at Scrum Alliance. I am so grateful to them uh, for going on that ride with me because we really tried some very different approaches to work. Um, so empathetic, decisive, but thoughtful, um, and yeah, a little bit, little bit radical, maybe.
0: Good. That's always good. That helps out. Um, tell me about your podcast, Wild Hearts at Work. How'd that come
1: about? Um, wow. How did it come about? Um, I had a dear friend, like literally this is how it happened. I had a dear friend at one point, um, not long after I left Scrum Alliance, who said, you have all of these you know, ideas and also you're wanting to like bring people like you together to talk about these crazy ideas about work. Why don't you start a podcast? And the first time he said it, I laughed. Like I literally laughed and I was like, I have no idea how to do that. I have like technically speaking or like how to host. I don't I don't know how to do that. And it stuck with me though. I mean for weeks like it was rattling in my brain and part of it I think was just someone having that um you know, like that faith in me or or to even say it out loud. And so I started thinking about what I wanted to see in the world and how I might help that happen. And the biggest thing that drove me crazy, so you asked me my least favorite word. And I said I was looking for one word that could represent a phrase and I said realistic. Whenever I would have these ideas about how we might approach work differently, I would have people say to me, Well, that sounds nice, but in the real world, dot, dot, dot. And I hate that phrase Mm -hmm. so much because it implies so much um, like sameness. Like there's only one real world and there's only one environment. And so, and I knew there were people that were doing some of this stuff like very differently at work. And so I started the podcast to equip people with a response to well in the real world yep in the real world Tom Hollis Zappi has a minimum PTO policy and requires every employee to take at least x number of weeks of PTO every year not a maximum you know so that when these rebels like me (laughs) are faced with that argument they have some, you know, they have some story that they can tell or point to about someone else who had done something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how it came around.
0: Very cool. And you've had some good guests on there. And, yeah, this is what, your second season you're in now?
1: Second season, yep. Okay. And they trying some interesting things like um, – Somewhat recently, I did my first live episode Ooh. with a group. This was really fun. It was actually a group of season one guests that had been nice. the most downloaded. And I brought them on together live, three of them, nice. and gave them one question. And then they just talked about it. And it was so cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent.
1: So Good that's job. the other fun thing is like getting to try different, just try different things and experiment yep. and see what people think about it.
0: Absolutely. That is awesome. Yeah. I haven't done a live, a live yet. That scares me. I think more than, you know, here I can edit things. I can, you know, doing it live is totally different. Flying without a net. Um, So what's next for you? You've done a lot. I mean, you've got oh. your keynote speaker. You've traveled all over with, with agile Scrum, right? You've traveled all over and spoken to all these different groups. What's next for you?
1: Continuing to just, Spread that message. Um, One of the things that's been so amazing about the podcast is continuing to meet people. You know, I I joke on the podcast that I didn't expect to meet my new best friends on this podcast, but that's what happens when you have essentially a values driven podcast, which is what I have. So I'm meeting all these people who value the same, you know, gritty, radical, different approaches. So that's been really wonderful. So I'm going to continue the podcast. Um, and again, continuing to speak, I have a couple of different keynotes. One of them is very agile focused. It's called the truth about agile. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and then the other one is about employee experience, employee engagement and some of the things that we've talked about. And so one of them is kind of agile community focused. And then one of them is much more applicable um, globally. And yeah, just continuing to learn. Cause every time I give a talk, mm-hmm. I end up talking to five people afterwards. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, like, oh, that's what you heard. Cool, I, I see a way to build that in too. So exactly. um, yeah, it's a journey.
0: Nice, very cool. Um, and on your LinkedIn profile, you said, and I'm doing it because you told me to, you said, ask me about oh, no. the time I had to <laughs> threaten a stubborn, Swedish heavy metal band who would not get off the South by Southwest stage at the end of their set. Oh
1: my goodness. You, were I, you told me to do it. Person. I'm doing it because you said. I always you're follow right.
0: the rules. Yeah.
1: That is what it says in my bio. You were the first person to actually ask, I think. Um, so for, I think, five years, I was a stage manager for South by Southwest, uh, which is, if you're not familiar your listeners, a big music festival in Austin.
0: We are actually headed to Austin next month. That's our next destination. Looking forward to it.
1: I miss Austin, I have to say. Um, So big music festival. And as a stage manager, essentially, you have, you know, this, um, like, four or five nights worth of bands that you're working with uh, to get them on and off stage. Like, you think this, this job is very complicated, but really your job is to get them on and off stage on time. Like, that's your number one metric, Right. And I was actually really fortunate that my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, also became a stage manager that year. And we basically had two stages in the same club. So I had the big stage and then there was like a smaller side stage. And everything's going fine on my side. My bands are getting on, they're getting off, no problem. I'll never forget this though. Um, And for the listeners, I am five foot tall. I am a small person. My husband, the then boyfriend, is one. much more. I mean, I wouldn't call him intimidating. I love you, babe. But, like, he's tall and he's a man, whatever. And he's, like, flagging me down. And our, our stages meet in the kitchen, basically. Like, that's how we could find each other in the club. And he's like, I am three minutes over and I cannot get this band to get off the stage. And I don't know what to do. And it was again, like my fourth or fifth year and it was only his first year. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I got this. So my bands are already going. So I march over there onto his side. And y'all, this is funny because I literally had a ladybug stopwatch. I am five feet tall. I had a ladybug stopwatch. And these are huge Swedish gentlemen. And they are not done playing as far as they are concerned. Mm-hmm. And I marched over to the literal plug. I actually, I say that, I don't even think it actually was the plug. I think I was just bluffing, but I walked over to like a really big looking, you know, plug in the electrical outlet and acted like I was going to unplug it. And I pointed them and I said, get off the stage. And they immediately stopped playing. (laughs) (laughs) Like screech. And then I don't know what they said because it was in Swedish. It didn't sound pleasant. They were not happy, but they did finish their song and get off the stage. And it was just so hilarious because again, like I could not have been like smaller, but I guess I had enough attitude there that they believed I was going to unplug them. And that would be more embarrassing than just finishing the song halfway through and getting off the stage. So you don't, you, to, you don't have
0: to be big. You just need that attitude, right? That makes you, I guess. Yeah. Intimidating. That's perfect. <laughs> Good deal. Well, Melissa, this has been fun. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. If people want to get to know more about you, if they want to contact you about speaking engagements, if they have questions about Agile or Scrum or any of that other stuff, how can they do that? What's, the, uh, what's your website?
1: So my website is just uh, melissaboggs.com. Okay. And also I'm pretty active on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So you can find me. Um, my handle at Twitter is just Melissa D, like Denise. I like my middle name, Uh, Boggs, or on LinkedIn, um, you can find me there.
0: Perfect. Awesome. All right. I will have all those links in the show notes so everybody can get in touch with you. And thanks again. This has been great.
1: Thank you. This has been so fun. Yeah,
0: definitely. All right, listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here and stuff. Definitely check out melissaboggs.com. And uh, if you're not familiar with Agile or Scrum, check it out because there are definitely applications outside of the software world absolutely oh yeah all right and share this episode with your family friends and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming that's it for me coach Harlan saying so long for now